Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone. I love this time of the day. Well, whatever time of the day it is for you, if you're listening via podcast or iHeartRadio, you you know, people from all over the world are listening to the show live. And it's a beautiful day here in uh, Vero Beach, Florida. I'm loving the weather. We have a little bit of fall. And I am, as you know, always excited with every single guest I have on my show because they shift my perspectives. And from the tweets and the emails and the texts and stuff that you send me, they're shifting your perspectives as well with the questions that are asked on this show. I love that so much. And don't laugh, but it's taken over a year for my guest on today's show for us to coordinate schedules for him to be on the show. And I actually met him through another person that I would love to have on my show, Don Yeager, who I happen to have heard speak at an event. I have all of his books. Love, love, love that man. And they are they are good friends. And Stephen does some stuff that I think every business owner needs to know about. It To me, it's revolutionary and mind-blowing, the work that he does and how he does it. So my guest today is Stephen Wessner. He is the founder of Predictive Revenue, uh, Predictive ROI, sorry, not Predictive Revenue, but Predictive ROI, which for those of you who don't know, it is Return on Investment. He is also the host of an exceptional, exceptional podcast called Onward Nation. And it's listened to in 104 countries around the world. He's interviewed top names, including Vern Harnish, Darren Hardy, Gary Vaynerchuk. He's been interviewed by them as well, featured in Success, Forbes, The Washington Post, Inc. Magazine. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. What I love about Stephen, though, is the questions he asks and how he asks them. So, Stephen, welcome to the show today. Well, Laura, is is very... um kind of you to invite me. Thank you for your patience in getting schedules to, to match up and so forth. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm over the moon excited. Thank you very much for the uh, invitation to be with you here today. This is going to be so much fun. You know, it's so different when doing podcast versus live radio because I can't just say, oh, let's just work this schedule. It's okay. We ha- we're trying to do live at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. <laughs> and it just doesn't always work with that. I mean, I've had people from Singapore call in at 11 o'clock at night their time just to try to make the show work for them. And, and we, we just laugh. We work with time zones. And a couple of times I've had to pre-record. It's not as much fun for me. <laughs> I, I just I love the live aspect because you never know what's going to happen. No, you you, you sure don't. And um, and, and it, what wonderful uh, words and and sentiment that you expressed about uh, Don Yeager and and I certainly second that. Uh, he's he's one of my most influential mentors, one of my uh, dearest and closest friends. Um, really, really wonderful guy. Somebody I've learned a lot from. Sounds like you have too. And and just a, a great person for us to to be able to learn from and 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 uh and have as our mentor. Yeah, which is such an important thing to have mentors. One of the reasons I created this show was because you can ask great questions, but if you don't ask them of the right people, you're not going to get the answers that are going to move you forward because the people around you may not have the experiences to help you 
correctly answer the questions. So by having guests like you on the show, I get to bring people that have mentored me either physically in person or via phone or just because of the work they're doing to my audience. Yeah, you're you're exactly correct. And one of the one of the lessons that that I learned from Don, you know, early on, and oftentimes this is attributed to uh, you know to several different people, Napoleon Hill being one of them, but then but then also Coach John Wooden, and Coach Wooden was a great defender of a person's inner circle, and it matters who you spend your time with. And one of the things that Coach Wooden said to Don during their 12-year mentorship was that you will never, ever outperform your inner circle. You just won't. You will slow down. You'll, it'll be difficult to speed up just because, you know, we're nice people. So the people that you spend your time with, the people that you choose to learn from, the people that you associate with really matters. So the quality of your mentors really matters because nothing affects your trajectory or the success path as your mentors and the people you spend your time with. So you're exactly correct. So would you say that that's one of the key strategies and tactics that people, not only for their personal lives, but for their professional lives need is to find an even stronger inner circle than they have? Yeah, absolutely. You, you just like in, you know, professional sports and social situations when we're looking to you know, upgrade, you know, like, let's take a sports team, you know, you're looking to get better every year and you're going to upgrade your defensive line and maybe your quarterback and that kind of stuff, because you want to continue to put yourself in the best possible position. Well, same thing in business. You need to continually evaluate where you have gaps. Are there gaps in revenue? Are there gaps in operations? Are there gaps someplace else? And then think about, okay, well, what are these learning gaps? What are these skill deficiencies that I have or that my team has? And then who can I learn from? Who should I be spending time with in order to plug those holes? And so, yes, the mentors, your inner circle that you're learning from on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever basis, needs to continue to evolve so that you can continue to grow and not become stagnant. So sometimes you have to make changes in your inner circle and choose not to associate with those same people because, you know, you need to continue growing and maybe they're not growing to the same pace and tempo that you want to be. So yeah, you do have to make changes. And, you know, I've done this a lot in my professional life and in my personal life, but it's not always that easy, is it? To all of a sudden, somebody that's been tight in your inner circle to have them go out more to the fringe. There can be a lot of negativity and sabotaging happening when you try to make those changes. What would be your recommendations to my listeners on how they can make those changes and be more successful at them? Well, the, the, the first, this isn't necessarily a recommendation. Maybe it'll kind of feel like it is. But first is you have to have a thick skin and you have to remain so focused on your convictions and what it is that you're trying to accomplish that you can't let negative feedback affect you. And when you get pushback from, you know, people who maybe you used to associate with and now you're spending more time with this different group, when you receive that negative feedback, think of it in a couple of different ways. One, they're not sharing negative feedback like, oh, you're getting too big for your britches or, geez, I just don't get to see you anymore. I must not be that important. 
The reason why they're saying that to you, oddly, is because they love you. They don't want to lose you. They're, you're somebody that they've really enjoyed spending time with, learning from, whatever. And they say things like that because they don't want to lose you, Laura. So that's kind of maybe an attempt to sort of hang on to you. It's out of love, even though it feels maybe a little bit cruel. And then secondly, they're also saying that, or when they say that, you should let that be your litmus test, that you're actually heading in the right direction, that you're growing and that you're changing and that you're evolving. I receive feedback like that on a continuous basis. And I've interviewed almost 400 of today's top business owners across the country and around the world. We talk about this often. Everybody who has built a successful business has to go through this as sort of a rite of passage. So don't get discouraged. If you feel that pushback, know that you're heading in the right direction. Yeah, that, that's a really great point. If nobody is complaining, you're probably not shaking things up. There it is. I was working with a client the other day who has to make a big choice in a career move. And she, in her gut, knows which is the way she wants to go right now. But other people are telling her not to do that and that she should go other ways. And I had to say to her, you know, they're making those comments to you because of perhaps some things in their own lives that they didn't make certain choices that they regret. So they want you to make your choices to help them live the way that they wanted to and didn't. But only you can make those good choices and you have to really evaluate it. And isn't it so amazing because I hear feedback like this, you know, quite often from either, you know, people close to me, relatives, you know, friends, and, and, and I don't, I don't, I used to react negatively to it before I really kind of understood it. And, and now it doesn't bother me at all, but isn't it interesting when people who have maybe never run a business before, never stressed or like, you know, really got nervous about, am I going to be able to make payroll tomorrow? And it's midnight the night before. And, and have never managed employee issues, have never gone out to sell, have never managed debt to try to, you know, pay things off, get your ratios correctly. But yet they'll offer opinions. Oh, well, you shouldn't do that. Or, boy, that sounds a little bit risky. And, and it used to really annoy me. And then I realized that what they were doing was just projecting their own fear as to why they never maybe pursued something so ambitious. So I, did, I no longer took it as an insult or a knock against me, but as sort of a window into what has held them back. So when you hear that type of stuff, instead of thinking, well, who are you are to say that to me? Instead think, okay, now wait a minute. This person is really giving me an insight into, into how they feel about a particular issue. It has nothing to do with me and maybe some of their own insecurities. And once I got that perspective right, then it was easy. You, know, you said something really fascinating to me. I mean, everything you just said was really fascinating. But you mentioned, you know, they hadn't dealt with the ratios mm -hmm. when they're dealing with the business. I mean, we just started talking about one part of data in business, which is people, right? The people around you. They're... How big a factor do you think the people are around you to the success of somebody's life and business? Is there a ratio there's, in all these data points you've studied? 
Absolutely. And, and there is there is no bigger, more critical, more important vital metric. If you don't have a great team, and I know that sounds commonplace, right? But there are good teams, there are bad teams. If you don't have a great team with all the oars rowing in the same direction, if you haven't invested in building a great culture, and these are some lessons that I've learned from Don because you know, he's one of the foremost authorities in the world on building cultures of greatness within organizations. And if you haven't built a great team without infighting, with great teamwork, then you don't really have much of anything. Because at some point, you're going to need to be able to scale the business, and you can't because you have infighting and politicking and that type of stuff. You have pockets of power and power positioning. You won't be able to scale. You won't be able to bring in new team members into that toxic kind of environment. If you don't have great mentors around you, which also fits obviously into the people component, then you're going to have skills gaps. You're going to be missing things. You're going to be missing introductions. You're going to be missing joint venture opportunities, new partnerships, new product opportunities that you could be learning from you know, other people in the business who have maybe grown a business similar to you. You might even miss exit opportunities. When I interviewed Judy Robinette for episode 329 of Onward Nation, she talked about how important it is to build a board of advisors, and she cited a couple of examples of how smartly she um, recommended business owners and a couple of examples to build a board of advisors with their competitors. Oh, I love that. I love that. So we're going to go to commercial break, and we'll be back more with Stephen Wesner. Wesner speaking about uh, predictive return on investments and more. Success comes from not only what you know, but also who you know. Welcome back to It's All About the Questions with award-winning author Laura Stewart. So, Stephen, you were talking about um, a board of advisors with your competitors. Mm. I'd like so, to talk uh, more about that. Okay. So, so Judy Robinette in episode 329 of Onward Nation, she gave me this lesson about how she advised a couple of the companies that she was advising about how to create a board of advisors based on the exit strategy of the business owner. So, for example, she sat down with uh, one of the companies and said, so who are your top competitors? And that you know, business owner mentioned three or four companies. And, and she said, great, reach out to each of them and invite them to be members of your board of advisors, which on the surface sounds absolutely lunacy, right? Why in the world would you invite the fox into the hen house? But that was brilliant for the exit strategy because ultimately bringing the competitors in as advisors, they were able to then see all the interworkings of the operations of their new upstart competitor, and then they started providing advice, and then they started really liking the owner, the management team, and so forth. And then ultimately, when that business owner wanted to sell, he had four crazy bidders who absolutely wanted to gobble up his business, and then he sold it for $40 million. And he didn't have to go out and try and find a buyer. He had four people bidding against one another to try and get that deal. And if he hadn't brought them on board, his business probably wouldn't have had that $40 million valuation. Exactly, because you know they enjoyed tinkering, pulling levers, providing advice, and so forth. And they all knew that if they could help this young upstart do something that they weren't currently doing in their model, they'd want to acquire it and put it into their treasure chest. 
And so it was a brilliant strategy of keeping your competitors close and then with full transparency and then being acquired. So your board of advisors, excuse me, your board of advisors can absolutely sync up with your exit strategy if you plan it smartly. I love that. I used to, when I had my tech company for 15 years before I sold it, I was part of a group called the HTG Peer Groups. And we met four times a year minimum. And it was people at million dollar valuations or above in each group. And you never just had somebody at, everybody wasn't at the same level. So there were people at $10 million, $20 million valuations and people at $1 million, $5 million. The idea being you didn't all, weren't all in the same physical region. So you weren't direct competitors in the region, but you got the benefit and everybody unveiled everything. You opened your books, you did everything. And we got, it was amazing how your businesses could grow so much more successfully because we were looking at data as well as the human elements of it. Great lesson, Laura. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm in a group uh, with similar sort of structure and I 100% agree with what you just said. There's, there's a lot of growth to be had when you're in full transparency like that. It's really uncomfortable the first couple of times that you do it. and You need to have a lot of trust with the other members in the group. But if you can get past that and really build some traction, it's phenomenal. Now, you're known as the data guy. You've examined, I can't even think of how many probably millions of data points over the years you've examined in business. We've talked about a couple. We talked about people. We just briefly mentioned, um, you know, data points around business advisors and financials. Are there some key data elements that you find are critical to know about in your business? Yeah. And, and of course, I'm, I'm biased because, you know, through and through, you know, I'm a salesperson. I enjoy sales. I enjoy marketing. So I'm going to have some bias and skew with that. Um, and so other guests would probably say, oh, no, he's, he's maybe a little bit wrong there. Maybe even some of your listeners would disagree. But the reason why I put the sales sort of metric or data point ahead and, and make it such a vital priority is because without that process, like you can have a great team, and, and obviously that's important, but your team needs to be able to do something. They need to be able to add value. They need to be able to add value to clients, and that doesn't start and that doesn't happen until there's sales and you've been able to do that. So, you know, within the sales funnel, or as we like to call it, our sales pipeline, you need to have a very solid pipeline for profit. You, you need to understand what the inflows are into that pipeline. You know, what are those traffic sources, whether those be conferences, events, doing interviews like this, Google search, organic, email campaigns, Facebook campaigns, whatever those inputs are into the pipeline. And then being able to understand what are the constraints within the pipeline. You know, how do we move somebody actually from, you know, just entering the pipeline ultimately to making a purchase, but then also what can we set up within our system to sort of deflect customers? Now, I know that might sound a little bit strange, but a good marketing system, in fact, a great marketing system, a great pipeline for profit, you know, removes people from the pipeline too. And because there are certainly customers or prospects that you shouldn't be doing business with. They're not profitable. They take too much time. And maybe they take too much resources from you. Uh, they're looking for price points that compromise your margins. They're just kind of not that great to work with from a relationship perspective. 
So when I think of vital metrics and aligned with vital priorities, they are absolutely within the sales component. So I understand the velocity, the flow through the pipeline. We understand exactly how much we need to be putting into the pipeline. We know exactly how much revenue we need to convert at the bottom of the pipeline in everything from top to bottom that affects that flow and conversion. If you don't understand that, if you, and, and, and you don't get a pass anymore by saying, oh, I don't want to understand digital. You have to. It, it is, you don't get a pass anymore. That's where the world is. And if you don't understand it, you will absolutely 100% fall behind. Can you track the digital ROI as easily as people felt they could track the non-digital in terms of your sales funnels? Yeah, in, in fact, it, it gets even more precise because of because of digital and the blending between online and offline is so much better than it was, you know, five or six years ago. So, in fact, later today, we're kicking off an SEO project, uh, search engine optimization project for one of our you know podcast clients. And in one of their stipulations was, okay, we like the idea of adding SEO on top of this podcast that you're producing for us, but how will we know that the SEO is working? Great question. And so we'll be able to tag those visitors that are coming in through organic search, Google, Bing, whatever, and that when they opt in or enter an email address to download a thing on some of those content pages, we'll know exactly where they came from. And then more importantly, not just originally where they came from, but then we can track them through that entire life cycle. So they downloaded this thing, and then they attended this webinar, and then they downloaded this other thing, and then ultimately they signed up for a something, you know, some sort of program or a product or whatever. And then that's attributed all the way back to Google search in the pipeline. So we know what that piece of the pipeline is producing. All of that is tangible. All of that is visible. And, and it doesn't cost a lot of money. We just need to know the process, and then you can have it. Well, it's interesting that you said it doesn't cost a lot of money because there's a perception out there that digital marketing costs a lot more than the more traditional marketing streams. And we're going to be going into the national news break, which I'm sure is going to be lots of fun because today is Election Day here in America. <laughs> um, but you and I aren't going to listen to that. We're going to chat <laughs> offline while everybody else is, is listening to the news break. But I, let's talk more about digital marketing, the return on investment, and how somebody can get into it and if they're into it how they can maximize their ROI into that so we are here with Stephen Wesner founder of predictive ROI predicting your financial ROI in a complex digital world he's also an amazing best-selling author and founder of onward nation podcast we'll be right back Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Welcome back, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the national news break. And if you're just listening on the podcast... Hope you enjoyed the quick moment before we came right back to the show. We're here with Stephen Wesner, CEO of Predictive ROI and the host of Onward Nation. Um, we're talking about digital marketing. We're talking data points in your business, all that other stuff. And, and Stephen, just before the um, commercial, the news break, we were talking about digital marketing and you said it's not that expensive to get into, yet the perception is it is expensive because... The average person can't do it 
right. Is that true or not true? Because it sounds like you're saying it's it's not and that anybody with a little knowledge can step in and begin doing it. Yeah, and, and the latter piece of that is is what is true, that that in an afternoon, and I'm minimizing here uh, a, a little bit, but in an afternoon, you know, somebody can go onto their best friend Google resource and and be able to spend time researching a particular question, be able to solve most of those tech-related issues. And, you know, most of the systems that we use within predictive ROI for clients cost hundreds of dollars a month, not tens of thousands. Google Analytics is free. Um, and like our webinar platform that we use uh, costs $69 a month. Um, you know, the hosting for a podcast costs $50 a month. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying that these costs are not significant when they're stacked upon one another, right? But maybe it's thousands of dollars, you know, per month, not tens of thousands. The biggest constraint to people, business owners, in my opinion, moving forward with this, Laura, is fear. It's the imposter syndrome of you're not smart enough. You can't figure that out. That's going to take too much time. This little voice that we hear in our heads. Oh, that's for a different generation than you. You know, that, that's super complicated. What if it doesn't work? Then you will have invested all of that time and money and this and that. You're going to look silly. What if you send that email campaign and nobody opens it? What if nobody buys? What if, what if, what if, what if? And all of that is made up. It's all made up in your own mind. So, the reality is that it takes, excuse me, that it takes a little bit of time, a whole lot of patience, a little bit of money. There are freelancers around the world that will help you do this. You don't have to hire a full-time team, but get started. Get started because the momentum has been and clearly is accelerating even further that this is where business is going. And if you don't do it, you will be left behind. Well, how do you decide where the right entry point is for your business? Great question. So a couple of pieces. First, ask, right? So the first thing is, I mean, I, I, I have conversations with business owners who are dipping their toe into digital or want to be able to grow. And, and the first question we talk about is, you know, let's talk about the size of your list currently and how you're communicating and how you're adding value with that list. And, and I know that it might even will maybe seem silly to, to you, Laura, but, but oftentimes a business doesn't have a list. They have a, a contact list, like maybe an outlook, but it's not loaded into like MailChimp or constant contact or Infusionsoft or any sort of like consistent emailing distribution system or CRM. So the very first thing that I would suggest business owners think of is creating the list, export it out of Gmail and export it out of Outlook, upload it into Constant Contact, MailChimp, Infusionsoft or something, and think about how you can start adding value to that list on a consistent basis. Now, right? if so you're, that's the first thing. Okay, so let's just take one quick step before okay. we go to the next step. People have their lists in um, Gmail, a paper with their client invoices, so maybe in QuickBooks or whatever. Do they need to get permission, because, you know, the, the can spam laws, all of that, before they start emailing their client lists to say, hey, is it okay for us 
to correspond or because they're already customers, that's implied. Exactly, the latter. And, and I know that that's a really uh, a big sticking point. I'm super glad that you brought that up. A big sticking point with um, you know business owners thinking, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to build a list because I don't want to violate any laws. First, understand what can spam says you can and can't do. And as long as somebody is a customer, there is that implied consent, consent, excuse me. And as long as you're using one of the platforms like the ones that I just mentioned, they all have unsubscribe links. So you're not doing anything wrong. So absolutely, your most valuable asset within your business is your customer list. But to not add value to that list, I'm not saying spam the list with, you know, an endless stream of promotions that nobody wants, but absolutely adding value to the list with great interviews and content, things that you, Laura, have mastered, taking lessons from Laura and adding those, well, thank you. <laughs> adding those valuable nuggets. Well, it's true. I'm not trying to be patronizing. It's true. It's like you've done that very well. So take these lessons, this blueprint that you've provided your listeners and do that and then add that to your list and they will love you for it. They won't think that they've spammed you or that you've spammed them, excuse me. And always give them that opt out. Now, you know, you talked about I do well with my list and all that. And, you know, I've been listening to you and I'm going, well, gee, fear is kind of stopping me. I've been using Entreport for several years now, not using it all, paying $297 a month. And I'm thinking about changing to ConvertKit, which is another option out there because the technologies have changed, right? So there's a lot more opportunity to do things that don't cost as much. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go home and I'm going to do that conversion <laughs> <laughs> and get my list clean so that it's real clients out there. So I'm, what I'm doing is I'm telling everybody, my listeners, I've been stuck in a little bit of fear with some of my own digital marketing. And I'm committing to you all that I'm making a change over to my new website that Greg Schuler, who's been on this show, um, has been bugging me to do to make it easier for me to provide you value. So thank you for that, Stephen. Yeah, and, and you're, you're welcome. But I think what you just gave there, your listeners, is a really transparent example of how it's really easy to fall into the fear trap. And it isn't that you're not creating value. You absolutely are. With every one of your shows, this is a huge piece of value. And then being able to take that episode, put it out to YouTube, be able to cut it up into snippets and be able to put that out into, you know, Facebook or whatever distribution piece that you want to put it out to, be able to send audio clips via email, being able to put that out to Twitter and being able to take the transcription of this episode, be able to optimize that for search and make that a blog post that's really, really deep in content and super instructional for your website. All of these opportunities are available when you create one piece of content like this interview that you can then leverage into five or six other distribution points and then be able to email that stuff out to your list. They won't think that's spam. They'll think, wow, Laura loves me. This is fantastic. And you really then warm your list. And I hope everybody put a time note down because in that last minute and a half, Stephen just shared massive monetization tips on content with one piece of content. So that was crazy brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. You know, because we're not always looking, right? That's one of the biggest things that I find with my clients and, and even myself is we can't see the forest um, 
because we're so in the trees. So we're not seeing the bigger picture. And then sometimes we get so focused on the big picture, we can't narrow down our focus to say, here's one thing. And when we come back from the next commercial break, Stephen, um, I'd like to talk some more about how people can begin to pick something that they're going to actually do digital marketing with. Because how do you choose which of your data points, which of your value is going to give you the greatest amount of return on investment? Awesome. Excellent. So we'll be right back with more from Stephen Wesner. Success comes from not only what you know, but also who you know. Welcome back to It's All About the Questions with award-winning author Laura Stewart. I never liked this part of the show because it means we're winding down and I still have pages and pages of conversation I want to have with you, Stephen. <laughs> All right. So what are how does somebody know which area of their business to focus on to begin doing digital marketing that will help them get a larger or just even a bump in their ROI? Okay. So let me um, share two different ways. And they're both super simple. The first would be um, to ask. And, and, and simply, when you've been adding value to that list, and you've developed a relationship with that list, they know you, they like you, they love you, they trust you, all of that stuff because you've been delivering value, then just simply ask, hey, guys, I'm thinking about this or maybe that. Can you give me some feedback? So that's the first piece, right? Um, second is doing something that I learned from Wendy Keller, who is my literary agent and, and like a rock star at building platforms. In fact, she just re, uh, released a, a new book. She's the author of The Ultimate Guide to Building Platforms or Platform Building, which came out um, actually uh, today. Uh, it was released today, coincidentally. Oh, I'm going to anyway, have to get that. If she wants to be on the show, let her know. Okay. Yeah, and she's, she's phenomenal, Wendy Keller. And, and so what, uh, what she taught to me was, well, Stephen, here's this recipe how a business owner can test, you know, essentially kind of content and a, a list or a broader list appetite to the topic. Write six blog posts on six different topics that will eventually lead to maybe a potential product. And I said, okay. And then you take those six blog posts, put them obviously out into your blog, and then create a very simple Facebook ad campaign around each of the six. So then six blog posts equals six Facebook ad campaigns. And then load those up into Facebook and then just sponsor each of those posts to your company page. Sponsor each of those posts with like 10 or $15 on a particular day and see where you get the most traction. And then narrow it down from six, maybe down to the three winners, and then put a little bit more budget behind the three winners and see which one ends up being a clear winner. But, you know, maybe you invest two to $300 total in Facebook ad campaigns, and then you'll have a clear, a clear winner, match that up with the original survey results that you had, and now you probably have a focus with some good data points in which to either build a product around, build an event around, build a service around, whatever it might be, but you'll be baking that or making that decision based on data and not guessing. All right. So six blog posts um, on six different topics. You create six ad campaigns. You're going to do six Facebook ad campaigns. You're saying just pick Facebook as a start, assuming right. that's where your list is, right? Where your, your perfect client hangs out, Facebook versus Twitter or LinkedIn or something. 
Great right? point. Yes. Yep, exactly. Okay. And you're saying each campaign 200 to $300 or total 200 to $300 on Facebook? Total. So each, let's say that you have the six posts done, the six ad campaigns done, and you put 10 to $20 uh, behind each of them. So that'd be $120 initial spend, right? Uh, and then you run them for a day and you, you know, do some targeting about people not only within your existing community, but people out in uh, the broader community who are aligned with, you know, your right customer avatar and so forth. So you spend $120 on that first day. You get some initial data. You streamline, you kill off, you know, three of the, you know, unper- or the non-performers. You focus then on the next or the remaining three. You spend another, you know, 20 or $30 per each of those. And so now you're closer to maybe $210 all in. And then you find the last one, the one that clearly performs the best of all of them. And then that's the one that you go deeper with, with budget, product launch, service launch, event launch, whatever it might be. Because now you have a clear winner on topic, and it's not based on bias, it's based on data. Now, hopefully when somebody has prepared these three, these six blog posts and, and the six campaigns, they've put equal effort into each one in terms of the writing and making sure that the messaging is clear, right? Oh. Because you can bias it excellent. easily, right? Yes, absolutely. So you might already have kind of like your secret favorite and do really well on blog post number one and then not put your heart and effort into, you know, two through six. Absolutely, that could come into it. And if it does, then don't write six. Write four really good ones. But the point is, is that you want to write a number of solid, really solid blog posts that deliver great value to your list and then test them in Facebook and see which one is the clear winner. All right. This is going to sound like an odd question, but I've actually had this asked and I really want your perspective on it. People have asked me this question. What if the one that people pick is something I don't want to do? Yeah. So then the lesson that I'll share with you is something that Gary Vaynerchuk shared with me when he and I were you know, at VaynerMedia in New York City doing the interview. He said to me, Stephen, you can't be romantic about how you make money. And whatever it is that your client needs, and assuming that it's not illegal and unethical and all that type of stuff, if you're in that business, what they want, you need to serve, right? And he said to me, he was like, look, that, that guy who owned 4,000 horses, like, he didn't want to hear about what Henry Ford was doing. You know, he had a great business. He was doing his thing. And then he got disrupted because he wanted to ignore that, quote, unquote, automobile thing, right? Blockbuster didn't want to hear about Netflix. They didn't want to be packaging up their DVDs and shipping them off because their board, their store managers thought that people enjoyed coming to the store and feeling the DVD. So we have to get past the, well, I don't want to do that. That's fine. But you also have to realize that making the decision of, well, I don't want to do that, that means that you're saying no to that piece of the business and maybe where your business is going and that could be detrimental and put you out of business altogether. And if you really hate it, the choice that comes up, maybe you need a different business? Exactly. Okay. I love that. That And I, I wrote down Gary's quote, which is going to be attributed to you via Gary. You can't be romantic about making money. That is such a tweetable moment. Because <laughs> we tend yeah. to, you know, well, I... 
I want to to do this. I want to do that. You know, I can't. I hear this all the time from my clients and so many of my listeners. But it shouldn't be about the money. It should be about how much value we're providing, and we, you know, we shouldn't charge for this. How do you respond to that when somebody asks you that? That we shouldn't charge for we you know, we shouldn't that, where yeah we're adding value. Yeah, you know, oh, we can't charge too much for that. We should just give that away. Yeah, well, so there's I, I'm I'm a firm believer in, and this might sound like kind of at odds or strategies that that are at odds. I'm a firm believer in being very expensive and being premium priced, like being so expensive that when your customer or prospect hears how much you're going to charge, that they kind of grab their stomach a little bit. Like, <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, really? And you, and then obviously you have to be able to back that up with values. So I'm not saying that you create a price point that is so ludicrous that you can't deliver on that, but you want to create some pain and discomfort with your price point. Now, secondly, I'm a firm believer and subscriber to what Jay Bear said when I interviewed him on episode 305 of Onward Nation, where he said, Stephen, you got to give it all away. You got to take what you think is your secret sauce and give it all away. Take everything that you do and give it all away and break it up into these little info snacks that then sound so tremendous that your customers or prospects are thinking, Man, if you'll do this for free, why in the world would I not hire this person? And so you need to have the guts to be able to give away everything that you do and that it's so massive, the value that you've created, that it justifies a premium price. So give it all away for free and then charge a whole lot for it during your customer relationships and you will create happy customers. Do you know Bob Berg? I do know Bob. Um, I've not interviewed Bob, but yeah, I know Bob. He's he's a, a dear friend of mine, and you just sounded a lot like him right in that moment. <laughs> I've had him yeah, on my show a couple of times, and it's, it's so true about building value. It, it absolutely works, which, going back to Gary, which is why they've been able to build a $100 million social media company. Because Gary's out, I mean, Gary is perceived to be like the guy within social media space, and which is why he's, you know, when, when we hired him to be a keynote at one of our events, this was three years ago, I mean, his fee at the time was $50,000 to deliver a 60-minute speech, you know, and why is he able to do that? Because he's delivering value every single day across many platforms. People love him or hate him, but that's part of his marketing message. And then, you know, when they go to a major brand and say, yeah, that social media campaign, it's going to be $4 million. They're able to do that because of the thought leadership that he has and the platform he's created. And that doesn't happen by chance. Yeah, and he's proven that if they invest $4 million, they'll probably get $12 million or more back. Exactly. So that's the ROI, their return on investment. That's a perfect example of it. You invest, and then your return on investment is, should be higher than your cost, right? <laughs> Well said, Laura. <laughs> okay. So we're coming to the last few moments of the show. Last thought that you'd like to share with my listeners on any of the topics we talk about. Big lesson you want to leave them with. Last thoughts. The biggest constraint that is holding you back is fear and procrastination. And if you master those two things, then your mind will be open 
to taking the knowledge that Laura shares with you during every episode and show and putting that into your business. It isn't the absence of knowledge that is holding you back. That's easy to figure out. It isn't the absence of skills that are holding you back. That is easy to fill. What is holding you back right now is fear and procrastination. And if you solve those two things and get the imposter syndrome and kick it to the curb, then your business and life will be on a completely different trajectory because you solve the two biggest constraints that are impacting you right now. I just sat here and went, oh, okay, I'm procrastinating on two other things. <laughs> so uh, I got my kick in the butt today. So thank you, Stephen, very, very well, much. But we all deal with it, Laura. Every single person who has walked the face of the earth has dealt with it or is dealing with it now. So it's not like we're unfairly yoked as business owners or entrepreneurs. We all deal with it. The point is we have to recognize it and then get past it. All right. So my question I would pose out to all of you listening right now is what are you procrastinating on because you're afraid of what would happen if you do it? Because you're not thinking about what will happen if you don't do it. You're thinking about what will happen if you do it and what will change in your life. So that is a, a great last thought to leave us with. And Stephen, you have um, two really great books out there. You've got um, Increase Online Sales Through Viral Social Networking, How to Build Your Website Traffic and Online Sales Using Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and Search Engine Optimization, Increase Your Google Rankings, Double Your Site Traffic. But more than that, go, everybody should be listening to Onward Nation. They should be subscribed up on your site, Predictive ROI, um, and just listen. There's so much great content. Thank you for being here with me today, Stephen. Thank you for the wonderful invitation. It was a pleasure and an honor. So remember, everybody, the right questions truly can change your life. So what are you asking today? And even more importantly, who are you asking it of? If you have a favorite guest you'd like to have on the show, let me know. Reach out to me at Laura at LauraStewart.com or on Twitter at TheLauraStewart. Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.